0: Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate
1: the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael
0: Stelsner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner.com. I am your host, Michael Stelsner, and this is the podcast for marketers. And business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am really stoked about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Roberto Blake. We're going to talk about how to produce quality videos. Now, let me just say video, video. Yes, you know, video is so important now. If you are involved in any kind of social media or online marketing, you know that video is becoming an essential part of your arsenal. And figuring out how to actually produce good video when this is something you were not formally trained in is absolutely essential. Roberto brings the goods. You're going to love this show. If you want to reach me, podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. Come straight to my inbox. And with that, let's transition over to this week's brand new discovery.
1: Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip.
0: This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? This week, I found Prisma. Prisma. You know, I've been experimenting with Prisma. Why don't you explain to everybody what it is?
1: Yeah, so at first, when I saw people using it, I didn't know what they were doing. And then I took a look, and I realized that Prisma takes your photos, whether you take it as a, a photo in the app itself or import it, And it applies artistic uh, filters is probably the best way to put it.
0: And is it it iOS and Android?
1: Right now, it is iOS only. However, Prisma has said publicly that in a matter of weeks, so maybe by the time you're hearing this, it's already out on Android.
0: I'll tell people what my experience was with it, and then you can share what yours is. Uh, It's it's super easy and intuitive to use. And... um, I don't have it in front of me like you probably do right now, Eric, but it's got a bunch of artistic filters, right? And it kind of shows you an example of what it looks like and you push a button, if I'm not mistaken, and then it takes your picture and it kind of makes it look like a piece of art, right? Right.
1: Yeah, it processes it and adds it. I mean, it makes it e- either seem like it's brush strokes or hand-drawn or you know, Van Gogh style or Picasso, different. Like it, it actually takes those – like the screaming, like that famous picture of the, the, the screaming man. Like it can apply that style filter to any photo if you want.
0: So have you meddled around with it a little bit?
1: I've played with it. I'm trying to figure out you know, what it's best used for. I've seen a lot of people do profile pics where it looks like somebody did a an artistic rendering of themselves, which is pretty cool. Um,
0: well, let's talk about the marketing I, yeah. implications of this because most people are yeah. using photographs. But if you imported, for example, a Canva image or any kind of um, uh, piece of advertising, if you will, you might be able to experiment with applying artistic elements to it. The only downside that I've seen is that when it publishes, it has a little Prisma square in the bottom right-hand corner, right? And Yes,
1: but you can turn that off without paying an in-app purchase.
0: Oh, that's really good to know.
1: Which I don't think some people know. So,
0: <laughs> And there's a, there's a lot of filters with this app, like... Dozens, if I'm not mistaken, and, and yes. a lot of them allow variable controls too. And for those that are geeks, uh, that are Photoshop people like I am, this is a lot like the filters we used to have back in the olden days that you could apply to your um, your images inside of Photoshop. It's it's very very much like that. But I've seen a lot of people going crazy over it, and uh, it's just kind of a cool way to maybe even just take your profile picture and make a cool image out of it, right? I mean, there's another application.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, if I, I'll be honest, I had a pic of Scout on my phone and I imported it and I did a bunch of different renderings just to see what it would look like. And,
0: okay, cool. That's a great example. Scout is our logo and that was a vector illustration image that was probably saved as a PNG. Was it able to do cool stuff with that image?
1: Yeah, it did different, you know, brushstroke style stuff or blocky type things or, you know, I'm not an artist, so I can't describe these properly. But just even hand-drawn stylistically, it it looked like somebody had sat and did a hand-drawn version of Scout.
0: Now, those of you that are doing advertising, like Facebook advertising this is, I think, a cool way to maybe um, sex up, if you will, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a dress up maybe is a better word, some of your images, right? And see if you can make them look a lot better and maybe that will allow it to stand out. So it's pretty exciting uh, options with this app. Where do we find it?
1: You find it at prisma-ai.com.
0: Prisma-ai.com. And as of this recording, It's only iOS, but Android is in the works. So that is awesome. Everybody go check it out. Thank you so much, Eric. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast You're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over this week's interview with Roberto Blake
1: helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide.
0: I'm really excited to be joined today by Roberto Blake. If you don't know who Roberto is, he's a visual and video marketing expert. He has a popular YouTube channel where he teaches all about YouTube marketing and video editing. You can find out more at robertoblake.com. Roberto, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. So today, Roberto and I are going to explore the ins and outs of producing quality video. And I know so many people listening right now want to produce videos, and I'm super excited, Roberto, to talk about this. But before we do, I want to back, back up a little bit and let's talk about your story. How did you get into video? Because I know there's a story. There has to be a story. <laughs>
2: Uh, there's there's always a story behind everything. I think that's all we do as human beings is collect and tell stories. Uh, but the interesting thing about that is that's actually how I got into all of this. I did it super young. Uh, I grew up, as many people do, as a Disney kid. And I know that you are a big fan of uh, Disney stuff as oh, well. Oh, yeah, big time. So I grew up watching all the behind-the-scenes stuff of the animators, the storytellers, uh, the movie makers. And I really wanted to do that as a kid Uh, animation wasn't necessarily in the cards for me and I pivoted early and I think maybe 14, 15, I kind of got into doing video maybe six years before YouTube ever existed. I was doing online video Hmm. just for fun. And I was learning all these tools and software, uh, through the church. I actually ended up doing some video stuff, um, with a wedding photographer and videographer. His wife had the wedding planning side of the business, as you can imagine. And so I got to actually learn hands on and get experience early Stuck with it, doing my own thing for years. Didn't really get on the YouTube craze when it first came out. But then, as I was leaving corporate for entrepreneurship, I had already been running a blog that was helping other creative professionals, whether designers or artists or web design people. And it just got simpler to do video tutorials and to answer questions in a video than to write the same email replies or blog comments, follow-ups over and over and over again. And that's a lot of why I tell business people is like take the pain points and the questions and the emails you get all the time, and if you make a video, you're just buying back some of your time and you're making it easier on everyone.
0: So you got your start filming weddings then? Is that kind of what I hear you saying? I mean, that's where you really got your experience?
2: I got my experience in the production part uh, doing weddings. I did video editing a little bit more before I ever did the production, which is actually technically backwards for a lot of people. I was editing footage that I would find online from everywhere and making, uh, like amateur music videos, if you will, Mm. uh, out of what was, and that was really hard back in, we're talking about the late nineties when the internet was very different. Mike,
0: (laughs) where were you posting these videos? Were they just something you showed your friends?
2: So I got into building websites with HTML at 13 years old. So I was posting them on these websites that I was building back in the days of Lycos and GeoCity and Angel Fire, showing my age a little bit here, um, 32. So this was back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. There wasn't social media yet. And so we were posting these things online. I was sharing it with friends, but then people were discovering it through the early search engines. We're talking Excite, We're talking Lycos. We're talking Yahoo. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the popular thing to do. When peer-to-peer sharing came about, then you were uploading it and people were distributing it that way. So, uh, you know, that's what the internet looked like not that long ago.
0: So, Roberto, at some point you decided, I'm going to go ahead and try to make a business out of this. What was the turning point for you? Well,
2: it was a matter of buying back my time in a lot of ways, but it was also augmenting uh, what I was already doing, meaning that I'd already been getting some traction and making ad revenue on the blog side, and really what I wanted to do is I wanted to scale my existing freelance business at the time, because that's where I was focusing before was web design and graphic design more than the social media marketing aspect of things. And what ended up happening was I decided that video content was faster for me to produce because of what my natural abilities were at a higher quality than organizing my thoughts and doing these screen captures and stills that really didn't show someone a process. Like if I was gonna try and like teach you Adobe Premiere Pro, Mike, what would be more helpful to you? Seeing a video that takes up the full screen just like you would have it at home, or looking at still images and reading uh, like walls of text. What's more practical?
0: You know it's funny a lot of people don't know this but uh in my office when I first uh, moved in here in 1999 one of the companies um subleasing from me was a company called Software Cinema and Software Cinema actually was creating some of the very first uh Photoshop and Adobe training on DVD and they would they would bring these people in and these experts and they would make all these videos because video back then was the best way to teach someone how to use something as complex as Photoshop or any of these other other kinds of tools so I'm with you 100%. Well, folks, I mean, you're, you're beginning to understand that Roberto has this in his DNA. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so let's, 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 uh, let's transition a little bit today, though. you know, um, Now we're fast forwarding to uh, 2016, to August of 2016, when this recording is going to launch. Um, first of all, give me your take on why you think video is so important today.
2: There's a lot of reasons. I think that we hit the nail on the head um, very early, though. It is one of the easiest and most practical ways for people to learn because they can see a process. And even when we're not talking about a demonstration with uh, software tutorials, for example, even seeing another human being and being able to read their micro expressions, their mannerisms, that translates and that can help cut the learning curve on so many things. So many things. I remember growing up as a kid that that helped – When I was watching Bob Ross and reading Rainbow and just anything, when I was a kid, there was this actual learning program called Video Smarts back in the day. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Mike, but it was was back in the 80s. And that was used to help children with memorization games and learning concepts Mm. and learning how to read. And I feel like that learning model is so fantastic and amazing. And I think that if businesses and people in general take advantage of those things, I think that they'll find that more people resonate with it. We live in an age where attention is so, so important, and yet people have the shortest attention span they've ever had. You know. Um, and I just feel that if you can use multimedia in this way and you can also make it engaging, you can make it fun and informative, that you have a better chance of getting people to act on it and to execute than if you give them something that just feels like a chore.
0: Well, and for folks that have been listening to the show for a little while, uh, we had Justin Brown on the show, uh, I don't know, about two months ago, uh, talking about how easy it is to create video with your smartphone. And from from a social media marketer to other social media marketers who are listening right now the bottom line is that we now have no excuse not to create videos because we have, uh, essentially <laughs> the kind of equipment in our pockets that, uh, people, you know, really just did not have five or 10 years ago. So let's get into the, let's get into the process of making videos, the quote unquote production. And, um, When it comes to making videos, I know that there's things that you do before you even hit that record button, Roberto. So why don't you tell everyone what should they be thinking about before they actually start recording their videos? So
2: that's called uh, pre-production, meaning that it's what happens, like you said, before we hit record. Once we hit record, record, we're in production. So one of the things that I make sure that I do before um, I start recording a video, whether I'm using my smartphone, whether I'm using one of my DSLR cameras is I make sure that I'm aware of the environment and that I'm aware of the scene, meaning the backdrop, the setup. Do I have something that's too distracting going on in the background, whether that's audio noise, cars driving by, or is it a section of my office that needs to be cleaned up or tidied up before I get going? Mm -hmm. So I, I take stock of, well, what's the scene? What's the set? And also I think about, well, in context of what I want to convey, whether it's information or a story that I want to tell, is this backdrop, is what's going on appropriate to that? Like when I do a lot of personal um, vlogs that might be motivation for someone who's an entrepreneur or somebody who's a creative that like might be feeling like they're going to give up, I find that the backdrop of my bookshelf is very appropriate to that because you have literally a collection of people behind me that did something, put something out there and they could have quit just as easily. So I think about those things. I think about the audio quality like you talked about. I think about... You know what? Obviously, is there enough light in the room so that this doesn't look horrible? <laughs>
0: do, you, do you actually take a picture of what it's going to look like and look at it on, like on, like, or do you even recommend that? Like, maybe frame it inside of you know your camera, take a shot of it, and, and then look at it and see whether or not. Because maybe when you're looking at the picture of it, you can see things that your eye maybe might not pick up. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I, I do that exactly, and that's something that we call framing. That's something that we call framing and composition. So one, it's making sure that it's going to be at the angle and everything that I want, but also being able to look at that and say, oh, wow, there's something there in the background that I missed or that I didn't look at and that I want to move that or I want it to be different or, oh, that's in the way.
0: If you happen to have another person nearby, would you get them in the frame to kind of see what it looks like with a person in there?
2: Yes. And when I don't, what I do is if I'm using a DSLR, I'll use my remote and I'll trigger it that way, or you could use a timer if you don't have a remote. You can do the same thing with your smartphone if you have a selfie stick or if you have a mini tripod or anything like that, or if you wanna use the timer feature, if you're just gonna handhold it. So those are tricks you can use to just go ahead and get your framing and say, oh, that's perfect. The other cool thing about doing that is if you like it, you could always use that as maybe a thumbnail or promotional image in social media for this video. Mm. And, um, you know, and then you're not trying to scrub for a random clip in the footage where your mouth isn't hanging open.
0: Right. Um, and I, I know that on the iPhone, the actual headsets that come with the iPhone work as a kind of a remote to, to actually take a picture, (laughs) which is a little trick. And a lot of people might not know about beyond setting up the frame and the lighting and stuff like that. What else do we need to be thinking about? Because there's more to, there's more to, I think what you're calling pre-production than just setting the scene, right?
2: Absolutely. There's planning. There's the actual content. So you need to already go into this uh, knowing what the content is going to be. And you may or may not need a script. For some people, you will need a script, especially if this is um, promotional for marketing a product or a service, because you want to make sure you have the information uh, in front of you in a way that you can convey it accurately, but naturally. So this could be a couple of things. It might mean that you might need to read your notes beforehand and then do it cold off of those notes, Or if you're the type of person who memorizes things, which I'm not great at, so I don't do it, (laughs) maybe you utilize that. Or if you're the kind of person that needs some assistance, maybe you either, if you're using a camera, you can always tape um, your notes or a script to the camera in some way or have somebody hold that for you if they're present. There are all kinds of little tricks and softwares that can be teleprompters that you can put on top of your camera using your smartphone or tablet. So I would just say that whatever your information that you're going to convey is, you either need to know it cold beforehand or have the tools or prompts or notes in a way that allows you to get that information out to your audience and accurately while you're on camera.
0: And a lot of people don't know this about me, but I've done hundreds of camera shoots, video shoots, and I have uh, two degrees in speech, undergraduate and a master's degree. And one of the things that really is helpful is not to read a script, if at all possible. Um, I have found that here's what I do, like I've done in the past a lot of what I call these walking man videos, where I've got the cameraman walking backwards, and I'm walking forward, which is very tricky to do. But taped to the front of this camera or this tripod are these big printouts with huge bold words of just (laughs) key words that need to trigger my brain, you know, and often it takes me three or four takes and we just do one little segment at a time. So for example, for a three minute video, I might have 15 different segments and it might take me four hours to do it (laughs) because we're doing all these different locations. But the idea is that you're going to say it a little different every time, no matter what, but that's okay because it comes off as natural. And um, I know that a lot of people you know, do read teleprompters, but I don't know how to say this, but you can kind of tell, right? Because our eyes are, are going in strange different directions, right, Roberto? I mean, I I don't know. What's your take on teleprompters?
2: My take on teleprompters is if you're going to use them, you need to learn how to use them and you need to give yourself a pace and a track because there is a trick to it. I don't use teleprompters literally 99% of the time. I'm just running things cold, but that's me. And I'm staying in the lane of like a subject matter expert of I'm talking about something I know, Right. I have to review a piece of technology, something I either bought or something that a brand sent over. What I'll do is when I'm cutting to B-roll in post-production, which we'll talk about, I might literally look at the packaging and read the specs so that I'm you know, conveying accurate information, but I have B-roll footage that I can cut away to so no one's seeing that. And it's fine. And it's uh, still a natural audio rhythm.
0: Explain but, what B-roll is because not everybody knows what that is.
2: Sure. That's, that's a great um, segue. So your A-roll is your main footage, which means that if um, you and I were sitting in a living room doing an interview instead or we were in an office doing an interview, then all of that camera footage of you and me is considered A-roll. B-roll would be if we're going to show rather than tell, meaning that if we mentioned cameras and lights, it would be where we do a cutaway to a, cam- uh, a picture, whether it's a still or whether it's video footage we have of like a Nikon or Canon camera, or if we're talking about lights, it would be, a, you know, the scene transitions to us looking at lighting setups and rigs and so on and so forth. So your B-roll footage is that alternative footage instead of the main subject.
0: And I'll tell you, uh, we used to have a show called The Social Media Examiner TV Show, and Mari Smith was our host. And we would come in studio, and we would do these segments that were about 20 minutes long. And we would shoot lots of B-roll after she spoke. And there would be things like a hand on an iPod. Or an, or an iPad you know, scrolling, or screenshots, or someone typing on the computer. And anybody who's watched any kind of a news segment knows exactly what that is, right? Because they always show people walking. <laughs> over there. But it just makes it more entertaining because a talking head can be kind of boring, right?
2: Exactly. And it's like we said, it's show, don't tell. You reference something, go ahead and show it on screen instead of just continuing to let them use their imagination.
0: Yeah, and you don't even need to reference it when you're recording. You can just add it over the top and that's what's kind of exciting about it. Uh, I love
2: co- that in editing. That's one of my favorite things to do in editing, actually.
0: That's so cool. All right, so so far we've talked about uh, setting the stage. We've talked about um, planning out what you're going to say and talked about a bunch of tips and stuff. Um, when we're actually speaking on camera, I think that you know of some apps and tools that will make it easier for us to remember our lines, right? Um, and if you have some of those apps or tools other than just a generic teleprompter, are there special apps? Because I've heard that there are apps that can, you know, it can come right up on your phone while you're speaking. Have you heard of such a thing?
2: I have, but because I don't use teleprompters all the time, I don't have that right off the top of my head. Gotcha. So you can reference those in the show notes. Okay. So people can definitely go down below for those.
0: Well I'll tell you what I, I saw recently something that I thought was really cool. Basically if you think about your smartphone you have the front facing and the rear facing camera and I always get them mixed up. Is the front facing the one where you see your face? Is that, or is that the rear facing? Do you know on your camera?
2: The front front facing camera is if I'm not mistaken, consider the one where you see your face. Yes.
0: Okay. So when you're looking at your phone and it's the camera where you see your face, there is an app that will record you and also have a script show up on the screen on your phone, which I think is kind of cool. And if you do it in such a way where you're looking kind of near the top, it can make it look like you're actually not reading and maybe even be timed in such a way. So that's pretty cool. All right. um, Let's talk about the actual recording side of things. You know, um, there's so much we could talk about here, but go wherever you want to go here.
2: So one of the things is a lot of people feel very uncomfortable on camera. And so I think there are some tricks that I can give them for that if you don't mind. Yeah, let's do I, it. That's one of the biggest barriers to people actually shooting video, aside from not knowing all the terminology or having the gear. And I think we've covered a lot of that. I think one of the hardest things is to feel comfortable on camera. Now, me, I'm a little weird, as you already know, Mike. I have a vivid imagination. That's why I got into creative services. Uh, so
0: I literally
2: have mental mentally superimposed a actual person in place of my cameras. So I Wow, so when
0: you look at the camera you see a person. You don't see the camera. Oh yeah. Huh. Exactly. Well how do you recommend someone do that?
2: Well, aside from like, you know, being weird or neurotic like me and just, you know, having an overactive (laughs) imagination, um, if you can't do that, then literally just pretend that you're talking to your best friend or the person you're most excited to, to talk to in the world, or your crush, your wife, your husband, whoever. Just imagine that it's no,
0: yeah. No, let me pause you here for a second because I've seen plenty of professional shoots where the person's slightly looking off of camera and they're looking at someone who's clearly sitting across from them. And you mm-hmm. see this on television a lot, right? Yes. Is that okay to do? It is. Especially if there is another person that hits record just to allow you that comfort of being able to talk to a human instead of seeing your reflection in the camera lens, you know?
2: It is. And actually, whenever I'm shooting uh, subjects, because I actually still do um, some you know, editorial things for other people, sometimes I shoot acting reels for people or I, spe- I do um, speaker reels as well. I shoot and edit those for a lot of different people. And a lot of times I will be that uh, you know, line of sight point of contact. And the way that I actually do it is I'm not a very tall guy. So part of what I do is I actually adjust it in such a way that the eye contact and line of sight frames up to make it less awkward. So that is a technique that can be done. Um, the other thing you could do is in place of that is if you don't have an actual person, you can use a prop if you're okay with that. It just depends on what your environment allows for. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, I, regardless of what, you have to communicate to the camera an emote the way you would if you were talking to a human being because you need to make that emotional connection. The value of video is almost, uh, I think, if you're doing talking head, gone. If you can't make an emotional connection and your eye contact and your ability to speak to someone and not at them is going to be a key there.
0: I want to pause in on this for a second because you think about comedians, right? And you think about how they thrive off of a live audience, right? And you've seen some of these reality shows where they have to be in front of just one or two people and they really struggle or any kind of entertainer or performer. I remember the very first day I ever did a webinar. And it wasn't this, I used to do these, I used to teach people, you know, hundreds of engineers how to write white papers. And it was great because I could feed off the audience. But then this company said, well, we've got some people internationally that can't make it. And I just remember struggling to have that same level of energy, not knowing whether they were there on the other end, not knowing whether they were listening. And I think it's so important to realize that you have to act like you're talking to someone who is going to be watching this later. And, and that really is interested in this because if you don't, your energy levels, is going to get sucked right out, isn't it? And it's not easy to do that.
2: It isn't. But again, I think that imagination can help here. A lot of times when I make a video, even though I'm speaking in general terms to the most people at their level of understanding, the thing is I'm literally making that video usually in my mind at the moment for one person. I'm literally imagining a person that I have a relationship with that this information would help. And I'm talking as if I was talking to them, but not leaving them a voicemail. I'm acting as if they were in the room. If you, so if you you can't do that via your imagination, sometimes you actually do need another person and you just have to be very self-aware about what you need for that performance. Uh, Something that a lot of people don't realize, and this could be a struggle for some of the people in your audience right now, is that surprisingly, with majority of the people that I've met on YouTube, did you know that a lot of them identify as introverts?
0: You know, it doesn't kind of surprise me. Um, but you know, that, that it that is interesting. You would think because they're so energized <laughs> that they're extroverts, right?
2: Right. But you have to remember that a lot of these people are going on camera in their safe place. They're right. in their home office, they're in their bedroom, they're in their living room, they're outside in their yard. They're in a place where they feel empowered, where they feel comfortable, where they feel safe, and where they don't have the judgment of other people's eyes, where they're allowed to make their mistakes and know that they can edit them and post later, like we're going to talk about. That plays a role in their ability to project confidence. And so if you are an introverted person, you might actually have, oddly, an advantage of not feeding off the crowd and actually instead being able to feed off of internalizing what you want to say, how you want to say it, and really... In a way, performing for yourself, knowing that other people are going to benefit from it, that speaks very much to the strengths of an introvert. So that can be helpful.
0: Well, Extroverts. the in- the introverts just rejoiced.
2: <laughs> no, introverts can win. You know, no, like
0: it's so introverts. cool. I am not an introvert, but I have so many friends that are. I'm guessing you are. Am I? Am I right, Roberto?
2: I'm an outgoing introvert, or at best, a very shy ext- extrovert. So that's cool. Uh, yeah, I, I I figured that out about myself. And I think that's the big thing. Like, you can perform on camera as long as you have self-awareness. You can figure out where your strengths and weaknesses lie.
0: We've kind of talked a little bit about B-roll and stuff, but there's so much more to... So many people, um, when they do a video, they just hit record, do their thing, and they're done, and they call it a wrap. Um, but there's so much more that they could be doing. So why don't we talk about some of the some of the production tips or techniques that you have to help people you know understand that they can get a little higher quality by not just hit doing it once.
2: So one of the things you can do is multiple takes. Like I st- I still very much am a one take Jake as they like to say. Um I can get things in one take. However, you don't leave yourself a lot of room for error if you do that. So sometimes, especially when you're doing your intros and your outros, it's good to say it more than one way or more than once and to give yourself coverage because maybe something was off in your mannerisms or your timing was bad or your pacing was bad and you may not have realized it. So going back and saying something once or twice is good. If you're doing something that's a list like a top five or a top 10, I actually like to completely separate from the video itself. Just go ahead and shoot where I say, you know, tip number one number two, and do that one or two or three times to have it for safety.
0: Let me just add a couple thoughts in here, by the way. Sure. Remember to let there be a couple seconds before you stop at the end of a take. Because sometimes um, you might say, yeah, that was great, but you say it so quickly <laughs> after you finish your take that it really makes it hard to work with. This is something I've learned. Also, consider audio silence or white space as a powerful thing. So if you are doing a list, like Roberto said, Say something like, one, and then say what you have to say. And then two, You know, have that gap in there. And the reason that gap is in there could be because you might do some post-production editing, or maybe it's just for dramatic effect. So that's just a couple of tips that I want to add. But feel free to keep going with whatever other tips you have, Roberto.
2: No, those were perfect. And they align with like, you took the words literally right out of my mouth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to steal.
2: (laughs) No, you're good. No, you're good. We're in a sharing economy now, right? (laughs) Yep.
0: So um, we've talked about uh, B-roll a little bit here. Um, What about intros and outros? Let's talk about that.
2: Let's talk about that. But I also want to cover how to uh, document your mistakes for for when you're editing later. Yeah, let's Uh, do that. It's like we talked about pauses. One of the things I like to do is if I know that I made a flub, I will give myself a pause, but I will also do this. I'll snap like three times. I'll go... (laughs) So that when I'm editing, I can identify that immediately and I can make a cut there. And then I can go back and I can see, okay, that's where the cut is. And then that's going to be the good take. And so that just makes my editing process so much faster. And it means that if I know that I got everything else perfect and I had one or two moments like that, I can literally search to those one or two moments and cut them out before I do anything else in my editing. And then that moves everything along faster. And I don't have to watch the whole thing end to end if I don't want to.
0: And the reason why Roberto sees that is because he sees the audio spikes when he's in post-production and they look like big old spikes. That's why those clappers exist. So exactly. so um, what else do you want to talk about? I mean, we didn't even get into intros and outros yet.
2: Real quick, because that's, uh, that's fairly simple to do. I'm a big fan of... Um, you know, knowing and having a consistent ritual for your intros and outros. Some people don't like doing that because they feel that that stuff can get stale. I like it. And I've heard back from my audience that they like doing the rituals with me. So like when I say the phrase, like, you know, helping you create something awesome today, a lot of them have literally told me that they actually say it along with me on uh, the videos. And I just think that that's amazing. And that's a good way to build rapport with your audience audience sometimes
0: so hold on a second so what you're saying i mean i do this in my podcast people know i always start with hello 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 and i always end my show with um i hope you make the best out of your day may social media continue to change your world are you saying come up with a standardized intro and outro that's just kind of um second nature that you always say or is there more to it than that
2: I would say yes, but we could build on that uh, because there can be more to it than that. But that's a good place to start. That's a very good place to start because also this sets you apart. This makes you unique. And then this also makes it feel very thematic. It makes it a show. You have continuity. And any Apple fan will tell you that, you know, familiar good, not familiar bad.
0: Awesome. All right, let's get into the editing side of things here. What do you recommend? Um, I know that you probably use some pretty sophisticated tools, but for beginners, what should we be using to edit these videos?
2: So for absolute beginners, especially if you're on your smartphone, there's a lot of free stuff that you can use. And a lot of it's great. If you're someone who's editing on your phone, like let's start there because that's the point of entry for a lot of people. You have great apps, most of them free or $5. I am a big fan of Adobe Premiere Clip. That's very easy and simple to use. All you need is a free Adobe account that you sign up with via email and you can grab that.
0: What can it do? It's called Adobe Premiere Clip. Is that right?
2: Right. It's called Adobe Premiere Clip and um, you can add background audio they have a few tracks that loop and sync that you can use royalty free. It can upload directly to YouTube and to Facebook for you. Um, other social media. So
0: different clips together and use transitions between the clips and stuff.
2: It absolutely can, and it also even has what we refer to as color grading, which is where you have a look or a style, like if you want something to be a little cooler or blue because it was really warm and you feel like, you know, you want to just have a little bit of a different look or you want to look closer to like film or a movie, then it has like some simple filters you can put over it that handle your color grading without you having to know how to do anything technical. So you can loop background audio to it. You can mix down the audio and you can edit clips together, you can cut things out. It is amazing. Can
0: you keep the audio track and then throw B-roll, you know, little video clips over the original clip so you can kind of get the effect of a B-roll or do you need something more sophisticated to do that?
2: You need something more sophisticated and that most of the apps on your phone are not going to have that kind of power behind them. The one thing I do like about Adobe Premiere Clip that sets it apart, though, is if you do have professional software like me at home, Adobe Premiere Pro, you could do a rough cut of everything in Premiere Clip from your phone. And then save it to Creative Cloud. Go back to your desktop at home. You have it like 80% done. And then you could tweak and do all the advanced stuff if you wanted to. Hmm. So that's something that why I use that. But if you have an iPhone, you've got um, iMovie, which is tremendous. Uh, It's, and again, free if you have the Apple software. You have uh, Filmora Go. So there's- What what was that last one called? Uh, Filmora Go.
0: F-I-L, spell the rest.
2: uh, F-I-L. L-M, like film, and then Aura, Mm O-R-A, and Go, the word Go.
0: And that's like a $5 app or something?
2: I think that one's absolutely free. A $5 app that I would recommend is CyberLink PowerDirector, but I believe that that's Android only.
0: Mm. So um, it sounds like you can do a lot from your phone. I guess the question is, do you really want to do it from your phone? I guess if you're recording it on your phone, it sure does make it convenient, right?
2: It makes it convenient and it's great for when you travel. That's how I do videos often when I travel rather than just setting up my camera. And I've gotten really comfortable with it. And the quality has been fantastic. So I'm okay with that. And my audience has actually accepted that even knowing that I do more polished, higher produced content. They've been perfectly satisfied because the content itself is valuable enough to where they'll accept some of the minor limitations that come with editing that from a phone. But I've seen these phones produce amazing video content and great quality. I mean, you have to think these phones are more powerful than the computers that got us to the moon and they're better than the cameras Spike Lee had when he shot do the right thing in the uh, 80s. So,
0: well, even I'm even thinking about an iPad, I would imagine if you could synchronize over to an iPad, you could do some pretty cool editing on an iPad, couldn't you?
2: Oh, yeah. It's a lot more powerful and you have a lot more room to work and you can be a lot more precise just because you have the larger screen real estate. And I know a lot of people who actually prefer to do that. And again, it's where they've started. It's where they've started. Now, when you want to start doing more things like uh, B-roll, when you want to start doing a lot more with your audio tracks, when you want to start doing animated intros and outros and lower
0: thirds and all that,
2: lower thirds and motion graphics and things of that nature, Then you need more professional start software. But you can still, again, if you want to work on a desktop and do not quite that sophisticated stuff, then you can still do that affordably. There are like free video editing programs that are still great, like HitFilm 4, uh, DaVinci Resolve iMovie is like 15 bucks. Windows Movie Maker, if you download the legacy version, is still free. Those have their limitations, but they're still very powerful, and you can still do very great looking videos with them. If you want something affordable that's more sophisticated, I recommend tools like Camtasia if you're doing screen recording. You know you can do free screen recording with OBS. A lot of your audience is probably doing that now. Um, You have apps like Premiere Elements which is a scaled down version of Premiere Pro That's $75 to own it outright, Corel Video Editor Suite for 100. Let me sim- ask,
0: let me ask you this quick question, man. You you know a lot of apps, but one of the things that I'm thinking about Roberto is on my phone, I have an iPhone, a new one of the newer iPhones, and I can record in ultra HD, but should I? Or what resolution should we be recording these these videos in because, you know, Most people don't even mess around with the default settings that are on their phone, but these cameras are so good. Like on my iPhone 6S, it does have an ultra HD recording. Does it make any sense to record at that crazy a resolution or what's your thoughts?
2: For the average person, for the average business and the average marketer, right now, no. For a lot of other people like myself, I literally just made huge investments, thousands of dollars of investments in equipment for 4K video because I know that, being there early is leverage for me and what I do. Um, for most people, it's overkill. What it does allow you is it allows you some creative options to still put it out in just regular HD. You Nice crop it, right? Yes, exactly. You can crop. So for example, if you were going to shoot someone on stage with your phone because you don't have, you know, regular equipment, but you are not necessarily at the front row and you wanted to get like a great segment of a friend on stage knowing like, you know what, no one's recording this video for them and they would love to have this clip of themselves on this particular stage, like social media marketing world, for example, then it could be great to go ahead and shoot that in ultra HD 4K, be able to know that you can like later zoom in, get that, you know, two times zoomed in and it's still okay. And I think that's a great usage of it. I think that's a very creative and clever way to use it. Um, I like doing it sometimes for b roll so that I have a lot more options and I can shoot super wide there. Like, you know, just shoot shoot very loose and then I can zoom in on something that I really want to. I do a lot of that with product stuff actually. So those are some creative things and I think that 4K video has its place and it has a future, uh, but not for the average everyday person. I don't think for the majority of your audience right now, but I think it's something that as long as they get comfortable with video initially, that they should
0: start taking a look at it. Tell us about your YouTube channel and the kind of stuff you're producing and how we can find that. So over on my
2: YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Roberto Blake 2, as in the number 2, that's where I do a lot of how-to content. My YouTube channel is a really large archive, if you will, of my experiences as a creative professional, as a marketer, someone who's created content, somebody who's advertised and marketed both for corporate and then for individual clients on the consulting side. So what I have there is if you're a creative entrepreneur, a creative professional that's working in-house, a creative student, I'm sharing my experiences in the real world with you, the tools that I use to get the job done, the processes, the workflows, and I hold nothing back. And I'm giving all of this away for free because it's the resources that if I had had them 10 years prior in my career at 22 or when I was a young person getting into this in, in when the internet was very different um, and very young, when I was 13, 14, it would have meant the world to me and it would have made all the difference in my life. So that's what I want to do is I wanna create a resource for anybody who's trying to create things, put them out into the world, change the world for the better, build a better life for their family, build the career that they've always wanted. I want to be a part of that process for them.
0: So it's youtube.com slash Roberto Blake and then the number two, Roberto Blake two. Is that correct?
2: That is absolutely correct. And of course they can reach out to me and find me over at robertoblake.com.
0: Roberto Blake, visual and video marketing expert. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insight. I know a lot of people are going to go out and now they're going to start making better video because of you. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Absolutely. And again, you know, one more thing, you know, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, you know, at Roberto Blake. I'm always happy to, you know, listen and lend help where I can.
0: Well, I hope you got a lot out of this week's episode. I know there was a lot that we mentioned and you're probably on the go and you missed it, but don't worry. We take all those notes for you. Socialmediaexaminer.com slash 212. That stands for episode 212. Also, hit that subscribe button if you're new to this podcast and this is your first episode. If you're a regular subscriber, we would love a review. Socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes. Well, this brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I assure you that I will be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day.